the show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all come on, let's go. Welcome to the healthcare rap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, and thanks for listening. Here on the Healthcare App, we believe that the healthcare experience has to change, and we're trying to do something about it. If you want to help healthcare be more about consumers and innovation, this is the place for you. We're going to help you find your place in this new movement, and you'll be one of the ones leading meaningful change. Each week, we speak with leaders who are part of the digital transformation movement. We share tips on shifting the way that healthcare is experienced digitally and the backstage strategies for marketing operations and digital teams to stay ahead of the curve. This is episode number 145. We're now in season five, which is our quest to answer the question of whether it's even possible to provide the healthcare experience that consumers desire. It's time to get fired up about this. Before we get into things, I want to give a quick shout out to the crew at Jennings Healthcare Marketing and their video series on the Shift.Health content network called Marketing for Better Health. It's a greatest hits collection of videos by Dan Dunlop from his blog that provide tips for post-pandemic planning, addressing consumer fears, using effective content marketing to improve community health, and so much more. The first two seasons are available on demand at Shift.Health, so go check that out. The series is called Marketing for Better Health. Okay, so here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about what innovative brands do differently. What do early adopter brands value and how do they show it? I'll talk about that. Then Zane and I are going to dive deep into the question of whether we can deliver healthcare in a way that's good for the patient and for business. We'll talk about how service design changes when we don't accept high cost of care as a constant in the equation. And we'll look at which stakeholders need to be talking more often to give us the best chance of success. Then we have the 411 from John Marzano on what he's hearing out there in the industry. It's time to dive right in. You ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. Innovative brands act differently. We like to tell ourselves that healthcare is just different and will always lag behind, but that's actually only true for the late majority and laggards. When we talk about the early adopters and even the early majority, the brand experiences that they create are very different. Some of the greatest innovation in the history of healthcare and medicine is happening right now, yet many of those brands are not keeping up and portraying the scientific breakthroughs that are happening within their walls. So what do innovative brands do differently? I've seen five common traits that innovative brands portray on a regular basis. Number one, they value action. Amazon uses a set of leadership principles to help employees understand how they need to think and act. One of those principles is called bias for action. It states the following. Speed matters in business. Many decisions and actions are reversible and do not need extensive study. We value calculated risk-taking. Think for a second about how Amazon lives up to that brand experience. That's not just a phrase on a poster. Number two, they value urgency. They prioritize the first mover advantage. They're comfortable drawing criticism because they know that's part of going first. Number three, they value experimentation. 
A couple years back, I walked past a Facebook experience area at Sky Harbor Airport in Phoenix. It was in the middle of the concourse, and it was set up like a booth, but without walls, so it made it easy to walk right up and try on an Oculus Quest VR headset. They made it clear that they were seeking input on the next-gen model of the product. Ever since then, they no longer have to tell me that they're innovative. I remember that experience. Number four, they value simplicity. Despite being incredibly complex organizations, oftentimes, the brand promise of innovative brands is believable, and it can be boiled down to a single customer need that they're serving. Take CVS Health, for instance. Here's what they say. People need access to healthcare, both virtually and face-to-face. That's why we offer a wide range of consumer health services digitally and in over 650 health hub locations across the country, many in underserved communities. That only took me 15 seconds to recite that brand mantra and think how powerful that is. Number five, they value standing out. They intend to. They're counting on competitors to stick with the status quo, to keep running their businesses as if they're Kodak or Blockbuster video, expecting that slight downward ticks for their business will correct themselves, and it leads them all the way to oblivion. Innovative brands know that the majority of players out there are just afraid to stand out, and so they act knowing how to stand out in the right ways. Okay, so how can these values become part of your content? What wording and imagery do you need to change to align with these values? What about your brand experience needs to change? These are the questions that should be guiding your brand strategy. So make it a priority. The time is now. And that's the flavor of the Week. The Flow. The Flow. The Flow. All right, welcome back. I'm here with Zane again. Uh, Zane, how's it going? Good. It's good to see you again. Yeah, likewise. My goodness. Things just happen at a crazy pace these days. And it's always fun just to start with, you know, what's the latest awesome thing you've heard about? Mm. It's kind of a fun way for us to start this thing. Maybe maybe we'll just have to keep doing it every time. I don't know. I like that. So here, here's one. I can I can share one that, that was just a thought. It was kind of a... I was actually mentioning to you uh, before we started recording that I have a list of what I call blow my mind moments. They're nice. just... They're uh, quotes or thoughts that that I've heard sometimes it's from another podcast or it's from a conversation or it's just from from things I've come across an article or whatever and I, I just have a list of them in Evernote and there was one that I just came across recently I just thought it was really cool it was actually from a conversation with a colleague and it just kind of spurred an idea she was talking about how this could be an improvement for health providers about telehealth. And she was giving the example. So her daughter has a chronic illness uh, who have checkups on a regular basis. And part of that checkup is a height check. So there's a physical part that you can't do that over a telehealth visit, but she lives a good two hours from the main pediatric hospital near where they get seen. And so she had this idea. She's like, you know, heaven forbid, you know, they, they plan the service line in a way that accounts for people like myself you know, because she's not the only one whose child has this certain chronic illness. She said, heaven forbid they actually plan the service line where it's a hybrid. She kind of had this idea of like, it's not just a virtual visit or just an in-person visit. Like, what about a hybrid visit? Meaning she said she would love to just go into the local satellite clinic, which is like a 10 minute drive to do the height check, you know, that part of what's happening. And then let's do the rest of it, a virtual visit. So I don't have to drive two hours just because you need this one part of it that's in person. And I thought, man, okay, you're onto something like that is super cool. Hybrid visits like, and doing it at the service line level and not even just one size of type of care fits all. I just thought it was a really cool idea. Like the, a hybrid type of 
virtual slash in-person visit. I think that's a brilliant idea. And it kind of reminds me of like sort of what airlines have done where, you know, they do everything they possibly can virtually, you know, to get your boarding pass, sign up, buy a flight, whatever. And then it's not like you can deliver a flight virtually. So you still have to show up at the airport and, you know, do that piece, get on the plane and fly. So they might be a great industry to look to, to learn some best practices around to have, you know, sort of this virtual and then also in person where needed medical experience. Yeah, I agree. I think that's really cool. All right. So, so Zane, here's what we're going to get into today. Again, this is all part of the same quest that we're going on. I don't know if we're ever going to get to the end of this quest. And I think that's, what's cool, but we're going to, we're thinking about this quest of, is it even possible to provide the patient experience that consumers demand these days? Our answer right now is no, not as presently constituted in the health system. And today we're going to talk about, we're going to go a little macro. We're going to talk about can we deliver care in a way that's good for the patient and for business so, you know, and for the health system? Mm. And I can say at, at least, you know, I'll play devil's advocate a little bit. You know, I'm going to try to put on my, my uh, health system leadership hat here because I, the thing I would hear a lot is we can't clearly give things away for free because there's a cost of providing the care and sure. having the, the right quality of clinicians to deliver that care and whatever tech and supplies and everything else that needs to happen in the system around them to provide the care. But that doesn't mean everything has to have this, you know, very draconian feel to it of, yeah, it's just always going to be that high of a cost for you. Sorry, you know, go talk to insurance, go talk to your payer. There's a coldness of if we don't at least think about it and leave open the possibility that something there could be an intersection of the way that this is being experienced is actually good for the patient and for business. That doesn't mean we can't address different parts of the system and try to fix it. You know, I will always have a disdain for the insurance side. Like I'm just going to be, I'm totally transparent about that. Like anyone who's heard me on other, other podcasts or other, other ones I've produced will know that like, that's not my favorite part to talk about uh, because I, I'm not very open there. I, I just feel like we we need reform there. Yeah. But is it always one or the other? Is it always, hey, sorry, this is just going to be something that costs a lot or is a really clunky experience and that's just the way it is because that's how we, we keep the lights on in this institution and that's how we serve you? Is it always an either or? Like, how can we deliver it in a way that's good for the patient and for business? Sure. I think this is a question we could ruminate for for hours and days and months and never, never really solve it. But I think in theory, it's possible. And so, you know, one thing that comes to mind when you talk about this is just the real need for three different stakeholders to get together to have real conversations that are informed by, you know, the reality of what's going on in the industry. And, you know, what I've noticed, especially these three groups never come together, really. And, and that is operations. So people that actually deliver healthcare strategy which would then be people potentially like myself who are kind of in the middle who help organizations, operational organizations think about what they're going to do. And then finally, it's policy. So folks in government who are setting the framework in which the healthcare market works. And you know this happens in Canada too. And so it's really at the intersection of all those three things. So policy, strategy, and operations 
that's going to help us get to, you know, a way, you know, where we can start delivering healthcare that works for patients. And then also on the economic side works for the institutions that are delivering it. And I would say, you know, you said the term business, I would even say for the employers who increasingly have, you know, bear a huge burden of the cost of keeping their employees um, healthy. And so it's those three things that need to come together. You know, one thing too, I don't think a lot of Americans realize is, or maybe I'll take a step back. Obviously, healthcare is very complicated. And so I don't think your everyday American spends a whole lot of time really thinking about, you know, how is it that healthcare is really delivered? You know, they just know they need insurance and they show up here and bingo, let's hope I don't have to pay. But when you start to really look at how organizations, you know, plan and strategically plan, one thing that they do, and I don't want to say it's a dirty secret, but it's certainly not things that make it into a press release. Most healthcare organizations plan out where they're going to expand and build new services based on something called a payer mix, which largely is trying to understand, you know, how good of insurance do these geographic areas have? And obviously, because, you know, revenue drives this market here in the United States, um, health systems want to be in places where there are high, high, well-paying, well folks that are covered by really good insurance, right? Because the revenue's there, they can afford the services. What's really sad about that is when you think it through all the way, there's almost a complete mix match then between where health services are and where the greatest need is. Because even at you know at a high level, you would you would realize that it's in the poor neighborhoods or the folks that don't have the greatest insurance, where actually the large probably the largest demand for medical and health service actually is. So in my view, there's this complete mix match that can only be solved when you bring sort of policy, strategy, and operations together together to think through how this is going to work. And to, to finish my point, you know, I'm excited and going back to the comment we made on our last podcast about this new generation taking leadership, I think the altruistic leadership of the millennials and Gen Z hopefully will be able to have those tough conversations to sort of build a new policy and economic framework to start delivering better care. I really like that. It makes me think of a kind of a, a dichotomy of when I think about like, what's the status quo of at this macro level and what's keeping it from changing or improving. Yep. I think of a dichotomy of a couple of different conversations or, you know, just thoughts as, you know, as I've been involved with health providers, with health systems, I remember once being on the marketing team and every day it felt like our team did everything we could, you know, to make, to build brand awareness, to drive, cost, you know, to drive, I always, I want to say customer acquisition, patient acquisition. <laughs> And we got to this point where we thought we had a really good year. And then you look at the actual patient volumes and the year with the highest patient volumes and the best bottom line was the, the only difference. It, wasn't, it had nothing to do with our marketing. As it turned out, it was just because there was a bigger flu outbreak that year. Mm-hmm. And so their urgent cares had higher volume and there were more inpatient days. Yep. And that's what led to a, high, a better bottom line. And it was a bit... It was just a wake up call for me to say, like, still at the end of the day, at the end of the day, there was only so much we could do. And that wasn't the right way to look at it either. As it turns out, that was very, that was a one dimensional way for me to look at that. That, that when I actually opened my eyes to, to be aware of all the other factors, that's when I started learning something about it's not just one way or the other. Because another conversation, same team, helped me realize that you know, there were there were certain service lines that there was a debate over, I think it was even just like some social media real estate. Like, hey, we 
we get to be on the feed this week. You know, like we need to feature this service line and this really cool thing that's happening or this patient story. And another service team or another service line or center of excellence was vying for the same real estate. No, we want it this week. Like we have this cool thing going on. Yeah, well, you know, our service line has this higher contribution margin, you know, this and this. Well, you know, you guys never talk about us. We do these cool things. We're helping patients, da, 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 da. We're bringing, we're doing this thing for parents or whatever. And the during that conversation, the whole, what it illuminated was the fact that there is this tendency to think that it's either one or the other, that it's either our service line or yours. It's either this thing that we need to focus on or this one, when in reality, it all really does work together. There was not an understanding on the team at the time of how everything worked together, that these ones are essentially loss leaders, but that's our responsibility to those patients. So we're going to give them that care no matter what, but that doesn't make the hospital any money. What actually does make them money are these elective surgeries, and that's what keeps the lights on so we can do these other innovative things. But it all works together. And so it was it was just a wake-up call of how we even address it and realize that everyone kind of needs to take a step back think a little macro and realize like, okay, maybe not everything has to be about those service lines. Marketing was just where it was made manifest because everyone was trying to get attention. Yeah. And I've definitely noticed that there's definitely a hierarchy in service lines and departments in healthcare. And what I have found too, is some of the areas, you know, that don't make it to the top, like, so it's like cancers at the top, ortho, neuro, heart and vascular. Those are kind of your the kings on campus or the big men on campus. But some of the some of the things that people are really looking for, at least in my opinion, are like obviously primary care, behavioral health, so mental health and addiction services, wellness and lifestyle types of care that you're starting to see now being offered. And those aren't the things that necessarily rise to the top of you know a strategic plan to go after and grow. And frankly, those aren't the areas that necessarily earn the most revenue for health systems. And so again, like there's this complete mix match, I think, between where some organizations are investing versus what their consumers actually want. And if you could get sort of that the primary care and behavioral health and you know wellness services you know, well positioned and well done. Obviously, that's going to drive growth and customer acquisition when people do need a heart transplant or they do need a new hip or a new knee and so on and so forth. I like that thought. It's the interplay between them. It's just opening our eyes and, and not being so so hard set on it's going to be my service line. And if we don't get the coverage or the you know the focus in this marketing campaign, then then you guys don't care about us. Like we all just have to have a better understanding of how everything works together. That doesn't mean to say there's no improvement to be made in the system, but everyone needs to understand right now how things happen, how the lights do stay on, how we can't afford to have the innovation that that happens. That's right. Don't anything about, you know, kind of opportunities to innovate that problem where there might be some places there. Yeah, you know, one thing I'd add to that, to your comment is I've observed kind of going back to our cultural theme that we brought up a few times is even very senior leaders in some of these legacy health systems don't understand where the value is coming from. And so they couldn't actually sit down and explain to you where business value is derived across the entire system. And so part of that actually feeds into potentially why we make poor decisions because we don't actually know what our core business is. And this is going to make it really quick you know, very crass answer or, or, or bastardize some very good institutions, but basically put it very simply, the core business of any health system is keep their ORs full because that's where the money comes from. And then everything else is, 
you know, just mouse traps to keep those ORs full. And again, I don't want, that sounds insulting and I guess I did it on purpose. There's some very good people that work in these organizations, very altruistic organizations. But when you look at the numbers, that's really what it is. And it would shock you how many people don't actually understand that. And then if you have a health plan connected to your system, really the job of the system is to, you know, get your Netflix membership paid every month. So you know, capture it at the beginning and then every month and then minimize the cost of care throughout that month. And so it's kind of those two plays that a lot of people don't actually understand. And it creates a lot of issues when systems are trying to do new things. Yeah, such a good point. That's a really good point. Well, if that kind of leads me to, you know, kind of opportunities to take some steps along that path, you know, it's kind of where we'll, where we can kind of lead with this. This leads to our call to action in terms of what's a tactical step that leaders can take in this direction. I can throw something out there. I'd love to hear what you think about this too. Yeah, go ahead. I do think it's not a sexy answer, but it's it always comes back to internal education. It always comes back to that usually to start with the from the top down, but it's a theme of part of our culture that needs to be emphasized more. Because in the case that I was sharing about your marketing teams vying for social media real estate, that wouldn't have happened if everyone understood, if everyone actually knew, well, the reason why this service line feels like it gets a little bit more love with our digital marketing, it's because that's what keeps the, that is what keeps the lights on. It, it, in that case, it was an elective surgery that, that was doing that. And even just a little bit of awareness there. So maybe part of cultural communication, maybe part of just departmental communication, whether you have weekly huddles or whatever it is, I don't know what people do remotely now, probably happens a little bit less than it used to. Yeah. But make that part of leadership's regular communication of, hey, just so you know, like this is just even a simple graph, like this is where the money came from this time. That has nothing to do with the fact that this might feel a little altruistic, like a little less altruistic. The fact is, that's what kept the lights on. Like, let's just be aware of that. This is what had that highest contribution margin. Let's just start using a little bit more of that language, no matter what part of the organization we're in. I agree. You know, I like what you said. So there's a couple things that you said. One of them is, I think, recognizing, you know, parking the altruism for a minute and realizing, you know, as much as these health systems, you know, they use the term, we're a health system or we're an institution that's been here forever. Fundamentally, you're a company. So let's just be honest about that. We're a company. We need to understand where is it that we draw those revenues from that keeps the lights on and make sure that everyone understands across the organization where that's coming from. And then, you know, very tactically, one thing I would call organizations to do is figure out ways, and this is very difficult, extremely difficult, is to be able to measure, how do I say this, being able to measure where that value comes from, but also being able to measure how other supporting departments contributed to that overall value. So being able to look at things at an enterprise level. And so if I did something that was in partnership you know, with marketing primary care that ultimately led to you know, 10,000 more orthopedic surgeries and cases, there's no way to look at that because it, it might look like a loss to marketing. You know, we lost money in primary care and now all those leaders get dinged because of that's the way the performance management system set up. But then orthopedics just won. There's got to be a way to rethink incentives and rethink measurements so that we different departments that are collaborating can show how their collaboration might have led to a win on this side of the business that's ultimately better for the entire organization, even though it shows a loss on our docket, so to speak. Nice. Such a good point. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not. But, you know, we're here to just have this conversation and to get people thinking of, well, maybe there's something I can do, you know, along along those lines to spark a conversation. The theme we're going to keep finding along this quest, along this journey, is the fact that 
tech is not the answer to this. More no. money is more money is not the answer to this. Acquisitions are not the answer to this. These are like fundamental, embedded cultural and leadership challenges that yes. all have to do with people. And if we understand people better and what's actually driving healthcare, we can be more innovative in how we do things. Absolutely. And like, you know, to your example about buying for social media attention, you know, when your performance management system is set up such that, you know, this department, you know, gets rewarded for more business alone, of course, they're going to start to, you know, make sure that they're the ones that are, you know, the top on the social media and get the most time because, you know, for a lot of people and for those leaders of that department, it contributes to their own personal bottom line. Um, and so rethinking, you know, as we go down this journey, we're going to realize that part of this goes back to rethinking organizational design and rethinking incentives within the organization that align with, you know, where we want our patient experience to be. What's the 411? Hi, I'm John Marzano, and this is the 411 for Healthcare Marketers. A conversation with a healthcare CEO once went like this. Me, what are your thoughts on effective brand strategy? CEO, give me the docs, slap a logo on the building, and we're good. That may have worked in the past. Acquiring physicians was a strategy to scale and secure patient business through your brand door versus the competition. That was then. Pandemic accelerated a long overdue change. People want more access, convenience, and personalized information that directly serves them at their moment of need. Loyalty is fleeting if they can't get that from your brand. So is it just a logo, a physical building, or a product? Not anymore. Brand is a more authentic, connected experience now. The factors into that journey are many. So. What are your thoughts on effective brand strategy? And that's the 411. Hey, thanks again to Zane. And thank you for listening. We hope you found some value in this conversation. And if you did, please, this is so important. Please subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about this podcast. Healthcare Wrap is a member of the Shift.Health content network. Go check it out at Shift.Health. We have 26 podcasts and video series about shifting the way the healthcare is experienced. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks. And that's a wrap. 